Hey everyone ever and welcome to 20th Century Popcast, the show where we try to understand the present by living in the past. Nope. Nope. <laughs> Fuck. I did it so fast yeah, thinking they... that would make sense. I didn't intend to do it fast. I just, it, it came out so quickly. as I just, really just run through it. See what happens. See what people think. Ah. Oh. So do it again. Do it again. Dial it back. Faster? You want me to do it? Dial it back. Hey, everyone back. ever. Welcome back to the 20th Century Podcast, the show where we try to understand the present by living in the past. You understand what dialing back means, right? Oh, I didn't hear you say that. Yeah, no, I thought no. you said, do it, Jack. <laughs> Dial it back. In my head, I'm like, fuck off. That's, I don't have a nickname. But. Start over. Nice and All calm. Right. Take a deep breath. Zen. Right. And go again. Okay. Hey everyone ever and welcome to 20th Century Popcast, the show where we try to understand the present by living in the past. My name is Tim Blevins. And I'm Bob Canning and I did a great job just now holding back my laughter because that that was so different from the first try. Was and it liked, good though? No, it worked. It worked. It worked. Yeah. And I was right. it was a nice juxtaposition. I have a feeling you're gonna leave both in, so um, I, I, I don't feel bad about referencing the, the first try. You're very psychic. Good, good, good for you. Um, we do, it's only a weekly show. I don't know why. It's only the name of the show and the name that I use. So I don't know why it should be an e at ease. Be an ease. I don't know why it's Vietnamese. No, I don't know why it should be easy. Of course, it should be. It's rhetoric. It's the most mechanical part of the show outside of the closing catchphrase of saying catchphrase. And yet, I get so worked up and excited, and then I hear the tone of my voice. Yeah. Well, but here's the thing. You you, you say it should be easy. I don't want to do it. You do it so yeah. well. It rolls off your tongue. Maybe you don't like to do easy things. You only want something no. that's hard. Um, perhaps. I still, you know me, if, if I'm going to do. do it, I need to did have you introduce a, yourself already? To, so everyone knows you? You know, I think I did. Okay. So Bob we know and Tim you. here. Um, yeah, I need to have that stuff written down. If I'm going to do it, I, I, I've got to write it down. And I've talked about it. I know I've said I'm going to write it down. I'm just going to listen to our podcast and uh, trans, you know, transcribe it word for word. Um, I haven't done that yet. I will, and then I can take those duties from you once Well, a here's while. what I feel. Here's where I challenge you. I feel like if I typed it out and I emailed it to you, you wouldn't. So, you know, <laughs> either you can't have your phone there. Do it. You still would do it, which is fine. I don't I'm mind gonna, doing it. I'm just, I feel me, like. Send it to me. I'll do it next week. Really? Yeah. You'll do it next week. I'll do it next week. Now, here's the, the other part of that now. I'm just going to go one more step, and then we can go on with the show, because I do appreciate that. That's very kind of you. Why are you still relying on me to type it? You have access to every episode. You could type it. I could, and I, and I, 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 I said I will. But you know what? I, I've got to, I've got to choose how I use my time, Tim. And perhaps maybe something keeps coming up, and I'm unable to sit down and type it out as I listen. Because I listen to our podcast uh, usually in breaks at work, and I'm not a, uh, supposed to use the computer for personal for personal uh, things. Okay. So a good use of your time is probably these past two minutes of conversation. That's, yeah. I guess, when you could have ruined it. Yeah. All right. Well, welcome. Welcome, then. Welcome to the show, everyone. Welcome to this podcast that Bob listens to in in bits and pieces, which was my good friend Chris Nassini and my comedy troupe in college, <laughs> Bits and Pieces. <clears throat> Were you I believe, bits? I think it was pieces i think bits was a smaller one i don't know now i'm thinking about it, it's like wouldn't bits be the schemer and pieces would maybe have everything in the world in his pockets well, i don't know bits 
Um, we never actually performed or toured or did anything but mentioned that is the name of our troupe. But, I mean, that's only one less thing than the <laughs> Marx Brothers did. But welcome to the show. Wonderful show where we, we talk about uh, we talk about some things from our life before this life. Is that? That's not the catchphrase. Yeah, we'll stick with the thing the we said. It's not the catchphrase, but it's, I think it's accurate. So this week, what's going on this week on the show? Oh, well, last night I was, or maybe it was two nights ago, I was flipping through uh, my my streaming channels, trying to find something to watch. Uh, my wife and I were looking for a movie to watch, and I scrolled past a movie I hadn't thought of in years, and I might even be safe to say decades, uh, a movie called Three O'Clock High. Yeah. And we both had a similar similar reaction as we passed it. We were like, oh, three o'clock high. I, this, I watched this. This was something I enjoyed when I was oh, younger. You, both you and your wife were familiar with the film. Yes. And <laughs> I honestly, I opted not to watch it because I thought, hey, this might be a great retro shock <laughs> idea. Oh, that's kind of you. Yeah. So yeah, we, we, didn't, we didn't watch it. Uh, at that time, but uh, here we are now doing a retro shock segment of our show, and we're, and I we've decided to talk about Three O'clock High. Sure, and just very quickly because we haven't done one in a while, um, we have rotating segments on Twentieth Century Popcast and Retro Shock. Maybe you did just explain this and I missed it. Um, it's a segment. It was probably the first segment we ever did on the show with uh, with an episode of Ultron. We think back to something from our childhood. For example, this movie from your childhood, Three O'clock High, that we haven't seen in a very long period of time. We haven't seen in ten years, twenty years, whatever. And before we watch it, we both kind of talk about it, what we remember, how we feel about it, what our thoughts are now, why it stuck with us. And then we take a break, we go watch it. And when we come back, we discuss the experience of the of what we saw, how it impacts us now, what we remember, what we didn't, just to kind of see how do these things that we're nostalgic about change when not checked in with, you know, year to year, you know, Star Wars, Transformers, Huey Lewis in the news, you know, these things that we that we live with on a day to day basis we know our relationship with them. But when it's something from our past that we're coming back to as an adult, that experience can be a little jarring, a little informative. Maybe it'll still be a great experience. Maybe not. And so today, yeah, we're going to be talking about a movie that I will be honest, I knew nothing about. I still know nothing about. So I don't necessarily have a connection with it. It seems to be one of those 80s teen comedies. Is that correct? Yeah, that's how I remember it. An 80s teen comedy. And, um... Oh, this is the moment, Tim, where I'm like, and you're going to cut this out, but this is the moment where I'm like, shit, I should have actually written down like people who star in it and stuff. I haven't done that yet. We, no, we can definitely get to that when the second half of the, the, okay. the show. I mean, were they names? Do you remember any of the names? I mean, that's telling in itself if you don't. Like when I think of a movie I loved as a child that I haven't seen in a while, something like Can't Buy Me Love, I remember that Patrick Dempsey is in it. I remember that Seth Green is in it. So that sticks with me. Well, here's what I remember. The the, the main character in – well, l- l- let me segue because I do want you to cut that part out. I, I sound like an idiot. Well, it won't be cut. <laughs> it won't, will it? You're not going to cut it out at all. Here's what I remember. I, I replay it. Loop it. <laughs> Um, here's what I remember. It stars as the, the main character, um, an actor who I recognized from back to the future. Uh, and I, Oh, it's Casey. I, I, I did see this yeah, on IMDb. Yes. Casey Seismaco. He's in the second and third back to the future. Yes. Right. Um, and I thought he was in the first, uh, he was one of the gang, uh, Biff's gang. 
Uh, oh, see, see, I didn't know if they used the same actors for one that they did in two and three. Uh, but but that's did. where I recognized him from, and I think that's actually what drew me to the uh, movie initially. Originally, um, you recognized him from Back to the Future originally as a kid. Y- yeah, like I recognized that he w- – and I think he was in other things too, never as a star, uh, but he was mm-hmm. an actor that was in other things. And so, yeah, I, I uh, was introduced to this teen comedy movie um, on HBO or Cinemax uh, probably around <laughs> the same time that I was – uh, being babysat by the the woman who didn't really babysit, um, she just gave us free reign of her home and and television channels, and reading material in the bathroom. <laughs> that's true, um, and so so yeah, that's where I I first saw it and I recognized that actor, and uh, yeah, it's a teen comedy and teen comedy and also I kind of remember being. A, a little dramatic as well like it wasn't a teen comedy laugh out loud uh there was there was some drama to it um and that drama being the conceit of it is that the kid is threatened by a bully they have a, a confrontation at early on in the film and he threatens him and says we are going to fight at three o'clock today um, and then it's the rest of the day of him dealing with that and how he's going to get out of it, what he's going to do. Um, oh, so it's kind of, it all takes place in one day, like a Ferris Bueller or something yeah, like that. Yeah. Um, and, uh, obviously if you're familiar with the film 12 o'clock high, mm-hmm. um, it is basically a modern modernization of that film. I, I knew the parody of that film. I don't think it's, no, I don't think it's a parody. I think it's more of a, I don't think it's a parody. Again, uh, this was a movie I probably saw three or four times, really enjoyed it um, in that summer, and then honestly never saw it again. Uh, do you remember I, it being funny? I was remember it, it being memory of it? funny. I do remember being funny. I do remember being tense. Like for, for me, there was more about it being tense and what is going to happen. I felt for the guy. I didn't want him to get beat up. Um mm-hmm. But I do remember being funny in his attempts to avoid the fight or prepare and also prepare for the fight and all this other stuff uh, throughout huh. the day. Um, and I knew that there was a 12 o'clock high, uh, an old Western. And I have seen 12 o'clock high since. But at the time, I hadn't seen 12 o'clock high. But I knew of 12 o'clock high. And I knew the story uh, vaguely about uh, a sheriff or a marshal in a town that had a threat knew that a bandit is going to come to the town a gunslinger uh, was coming to the town and he had to face him and no one else around him would help um and so at noon he was going to be on his own and and with that in mind i kind of i understood that it was a modernization of that i didn't see it as a parody um it wasn't that kind of comedy it was really just a retelling of that story, but instead of uh, a sheriff in the old west, it was uh, a kid in in high school and a bully instead of a criminal. Now, did you watch it by yourself, or there other people there watching it with you? Um, there are other times? people watching it with me, but it was it was still kind of a solo experience. I wasn't really watching it with anybody uh, that I was close to. It, it was mm-hmm. in this uh, environment of other kids dropped off at the house, picked up, you know, different times during the day, dropped off different times during the day. Uh, and so I was watching it. There's probably chaos around me as, as younger kids that weren't interested were doing other, other, uh, activities. 
Um, so it was a solo experience, and because it was during that summer, and because it was on HBO, um, it was repeated, you know, during that 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 time. And so I watched it a few times. Um, and so I'm surprisingly like I have memories of the visuals. I remember the high school being big, and I I don't know if I was in high school at the time. Probably not. I might have been in middle school, uh, or maybe even sixth grade. But I remember the high school being big like the tall ceilings and these big wide hallways and uh, I, uh, I remember that visual of it I remember probably because there were scenes much like the western where he was standing at one end of the hallway and the bully was at the other end and there were threats and whatnot um, so I remember that visual I remember it having uh, I remember the look of the bully and I think he's a, a, an actor too you'll recognize when you get to watch it uh, that's been in things, but I can't think of who it is. Um, but I just remember these shots of him uh, looking very intense and very angry. Uh, and uh, yeah, I really liked the movie at the time. And it's one of those things, like like I said, my wife and I, I probably haven't thought of this movie since that summer, honestly. It's not one of those movies that I have seen come back. It's not something people talk about. You didn't even know it existed. No, and it's interesting. Everything you're saying now makes it sound like it really is an homage and very intentionally in the style of and in, in, in the pacing of 12 O'Clock High. Um, after you mentioned it to me, I did look it up on IMDb real quick, and the poster makes it look like just a wacky teen comedy. It's the kid. I think he's getting crunched in the grip of the bully. And it just it mm. looks like a crazy teen comedy. So I'll be curious to watch it to see is which of those pans out. Like, is it sort of like a darker movie you know along the lines of where heathers is kind of a grimmer take on high school or is it is the elements that resemble the western getting in your head and maybe altering how you remember the film that could be what what i find interesting about this and i'm trying to right now i'm sure there are ones i could come up with too this sounds like one of those movies or one of those things you saw as a kid that was your own and you didn't talk about it with other people and correct me if i'm wrong it wasn't like it was in the conversation like most you know, many of the movies I watched growing up as a kid, you know, at least one of my other friends was into it. So we would talk about the movie Dragnet. We would talk about the movie Daryl. We would talk about um, that Lizzie Nielsen space movie, whatever it was like. So you would share that with people. And that kind of that helps with the memory because you now have the memories of talking with someone and what they found funny, what you found funny. So that creates even though it may not be accurate creates an impression of when this movie existed in the time, how it impacted you. But, yeah, there are movies that you see on your own, you see once by chance that do stick with you that aren't part of the co- that conversation. They might not be part of your peer group's movement. And so you're touching in with them and your memory of it is probably very faint and probably fades. Yeah. And so it's, it'll be odd to, to revisit that. I'm having trouble thinking of an example from my own childhood. I'm sure they're there of something that I saw. That I mean, I can do it with maybe some cartoons that I feel like no one else was watching or talking about. So my impression of it is very, I don't know. It, it's very abbreviated. It's very private. It's, it's, you know, it's like seeing that thing that no one else saw and having to relate it now, even though it's a movie and we can access it. So it'll be, it'll be, it'll be interesting to hear how much it resembles what you remember it to be. And I'm just curious to see what it's like. Cause I feel like I'm, I was pretty on top of titles of, of, of teen movies and high school movies. Not that I saw all of them, but by going to a video store and by, you know, free cable weekends or whatnot, I, I would at least see titles. And this right. seems like something, it's a high concept. It sounds like it's, 
about bullying at school, which is a big topic in movies in the 80s for teens. I've never heard of this, and I'd be curious. Uh, yeah, I'm curious to see it and see where it falls within the uh, time period and, and sort of, uh, what do you want to call it, just, just what the genre is like right. for a teen yeah, and that's the thing. It's like I, I mean, I talking about just being aware of of the pop culture around you. Yeah, maybe you didn't watch it, but you would have some awareness of it. Um, there just really isn't one for this movie. Um, I worked at a blockbuster in the '90s, and there's loads of those old movies from the '80s, and I have no recollection of ever seeing this on the shelf. You know, I <laughs> never had that moment of oh yeah, that movie. Not until. You know, this week, 2017, do I see the movie again and be like, oh, yeah, that movie. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of excited. I wonder if it's because maybe it's a terrible movie. I remember Hello. enjoying it. I remember uh, <laughs> wanting to see it again when it when it came on. But maybe it just sort of fell off because it isn't very good. Well, Perhaps. Can't Buy Me Love is a terrible movie. Weird <laughs> Science is a terrible movie. They're still out there. Star Trek Five is a terrible movie. <laughs> um, Naked Gun Thirty Three and a Third is a terrible movie. Yes, but honestly, Taxi those Driver movies. Is a, well, those but those movies that you listed that are terrible movies. I mean, I think Can't Buy Me Love is still sort of out there because it's in that genre uh, of uh, John Hughes films, right? That's a John Hughes film. Uh, no, right? but it's no? in the style. Of John Hughes yeah, film. but it's in the style of that, and maybe the campiness of it helps but naked gun 33 and a third that's you, you haven't said naked gun 33 and a third until just now in the last 20 said years. two weeks ago on the episode where i was discussing uh the naked gun i think i call it the third one you're right i have not said the title <laughs> but i'm Good saying point, like Bob. it's not it's not really out there because they're they're not the memorable ones um so yeah i'm i'm curious to see why it's fallen off if viewing it will even tell us why it fell off um and but yeah it is just my thing and that was cool too um that was also my wife's thing and we've been yeah, together so you're not the only right one. but we've been together 18 uh, years and we've never shared a memory of <laughs> of a three o'clock high until we're sitting there on the couch looking for something to watch and i have to convince her to wait oh that's right she'll really so she must be very excited for today's episode <laughs> I think finally watch this crapshoot of a film. <laughs> it is. It's a crapshoot. I don't know. I mean, you talk about it being a wacky, like advertised as a wacky teen comedy. I just remember it being tense. I remember the main character being uh, just dreading the day and just being so anxious throughout the whole day. There isn't, I don't see how that turns into hijinks necessarily. <laughs> Um, from an 80s level perhaps sounds a little too close to home let's check it out I let's do it always want to ask before we do a retro shock is this a good memory or a bad memory for you three o'clock high it, it was a good memory um, absolutely it, it, it was it was a cool movie to me. It was one that I don't think anyone else around me had, and maybe I said this on the first half, uh, I don't think anybody else around me was quoting it or talking about it. Um, I know that lots of other movies were far more popular, and I came across it. I didn't kind of know it existed until I was watching it on, on HBO or uh, Cinemax, wherever I was seeing it. And so, yeah, it was really cool to me. And it was older. I, th I don't think I was quite in high school yet. 
when I saw it. And so, so the characters were older. Yeah, the characters were older. They were in high school, and it was a cool memory. To, to, to get into it, this is a movie from 1987. actually came out October 9th. I looked that up. Um, 1987. So it had a theatrical release. I don't know how prominent it played. It was probably in video storage. You saw it on cable. I mm-hmm. rented it through Xfinity On Demand for $3. People who are listening to the show, support us on Patreon. $3 <laughs> a month gets me able to see this movie once a month. But, um, so yeah, with no knowledge of it, what, um, going into it, I mean, my concept was this was going to be sort of just a, a, a teen movie, you know, a teen movie about high school, something comical. I was thinking Revenge of the Nerds. I was thinking uh, a movie that I think it is similar to Better Off Dead. But before I start throwing these titles around, do you want to say pretty quickly what, uh, what this movie is about, just so the audience has something to hold on to as we talk about it? Sure. It's, it's a day in, day in the life. Uh, at the beginning, we meet Jerry. I think it was Jerry Mitchell is the last name. Um, and, and so it's a, a day in his life. And as we arrive to school with Jerry, we hear that there's a new kid at school. Um, I forget his name. Buddy. Buddy Ravel. Buddy, that's right. So there's a new kid at school, and everybody's got rumors about him. He beat up somebody. He broke somebody's finger he, he did this to the teacher he's can't be touched he's crazy he's psycho um and then we follow jerry through the day where suddenly he has an encounter with him and just that just was the end of it he uh buddy said i'm gonna kick your ass 3 p.m after school you and me and then we spend the rest of the day following jerry trying to figure out what he's gonna do how he's gonna get out of this uh if he's gonna fight him if he's not going to fight him, how is he going to take care of the situation? Because he's just this little, uh, I guess you could call him kind of nerdy kid. Um, although, something I want to talk about, he's not really established as a nerd. You really don't get to know like who he is. I mean, yeah, I guess he's a nerd because he works for the school paper. Um, I guess he's a nerd because he works at the at the school store. It does seem, again, like the perfect setup for a comedy. It does seem like, a, you know, as you explained it to me, I'm like, yeah, that's a that's any teen comedy. There's the bully and there's the nerd. But I think like what you've already said is the main character of Jerry and something this right off the bat this movie does so well is Jerry doesn't fall into a cinematic cliche. Right. You know, he isn't a nerd, you know, and he's not a young Republican and he's not, you know, he's not a jock. He's not, he's, he is just this character and he's not like, like so many characters in that era would either be nerds or the outsider. Right. You know, there'd be something like, I think I always think Eric Stoltz and some kind of wonderful sort of the outsider in the town or they're the rich smarmy kid like Ferris Bueller, which is still endearing, but this, they have money behind them. Like Jerry, we're, we're introduced to him waking up, you know, for school, waking up late and having this whole very, surreal machine-like process of getting ready for school like the opening to this movie I, w- I was won over by this movie from the very beginning just because well I was both won over and a little misled because the opening of this movie is a very hectic in some ways typical 80s sequence it's like I'm gonna be late for school and then cue the pop song and there's all this comedy of him getting ready you know right. there's you know he's got to brush his teeth he's got to microwave a pop tart but his clothes are wet so he microwaves his clothes and the way it's filmed, it, it wasn't filmed like a traditional teen comedy. Maybe that's what was confusing. But the, the the setup, the trope was familiar. You know, and we get to meet his sister that way. We meet his, uh, I guess it's his best friend who he picks up along the way because he ends up driving school. Like we're introduced to characters through this musical montage of fumbling around. And it's something I can re- relate to. I know what it's like to be late to something. I know what it's like to have that routine in the morning. So I like that. Yeah. And it's very funny. But at the same time, it's so... 
stylized. There's all these high angles looking down. There's all the shaky handheld camera work, these weird zoom ins and outs. And I think that's why the movie sort of stuck with me. No, I didn't go back to it. But my brief moment of time where it was playing three times a day on cable and I saw it like, you know, at least eight or nine times, eight to ten times in a two week period uh, and then probably never saw it again until this past week. That's probably why it stuck with me so well. Not only was it relatable uh, high school age kids, but it was stylized. I mean, I wasn't an, a film auteur, you know, looking for some sort mm-hmm. of, you know, a German expressionism or anything like that. I was just a guy watching movies, but this one just had enough of an edge to it, enough of a, of a different perspective uh, visually that it it just it stuck with me. And also what stuck with me is what you said about how he's not a stereotype. I could project myself on him really easily. Like, you know, it's not like he's the jock, but I'm not a jock. So I'll just enjoy the movie. I was him. When I was watching the movie, I was him and I was scared to death of getting beat up at that age when I saw it when I was younger. I was scared to death for him. It was tense for me. I don't remember it as a comedy. I was never that fearful of being beat up, maybe being made fun of, but I never, I didn't live in fear of a bully, which is an often used uh, trope in a movie. Were you? You were genuinely afraid in school. Like, were you bullied or, or you were just afraid of it happening? I, I was afraid of it happening. I, I wasn't necessarily bullied. Um, I've, I was in the proximity of fights. So it's not like I didn't know they happened. They were happening at my school. Um, people, I you know, would hear the rumors of who's going to beat up who. Uh, one time in gym class, I can't remember what I did exactly to somebody, but I must have rubbed them the wrong way, and he just kind of shoved me really hard in the chest and knocked the air out of me. Oh, so you did have an ex- a relatable experience thing. That's, I, that would have startled me, scared me. Yeah, it scared me, especially because the air was knocked out of me. And that was the first time it ever happened to me. I couldn't breathe, and nobody saw it happen. So I was over in the corner of the gym. The gym coach, the gym teacher was in the middle, like making sure all the kids were playing correctly, whatever it was we were playing. And I was over in the corner in my head dying, Um, slowly able to get my breath back. Um, But yeah, so uh, I had a little bit of fear of him. And then I kind of did this stupid thing once. And maybe we even talked about this because I I have a memory of of saying this story recently. Um, I have this memory of kind of jokingly goofing around with a, a guy and trying to trip him as a joke. And he didn't take it that way. And he literally lifted his fist over me. Like he turned around and, and it was going to hit me um, and didn't. And so those, that, those are the two closest experiences of being in a fight that I've had. So that would totally make this relevant. I get that. Like, I didn't have that fear. And yet you would see it in movies a lot. And again, I could relate to that. Like, those were the characters. And again, in most movies, they're nerd characters or geek characters that are being threatened. So I would relate to that. So this really did tap into something. Yeah, did you see I mean, this before those events happened? Like, do you think- I think I did. Yeah, I think I was was. Yes, I saw this movie before that. So I still had a sense of it. Um you know, like I said, there were, there were always rumors, there were always talks. Uh, there were some rough and tumble characters in my town and in my school. So, mm-hmm. or at least I believe there was. Could be <laughs> if you go back and you actually look at the facts, that never happened. But I had this sense that there was. No, but 
this idea, and this is one of the things this movie does so well. Let's start talking about it, I think, because it's important, is it creates this micro... And I, I guess most high school movies are doing this to some degree, but the high school in this movie is a town. It's this microcosm of a town. Everyone's an inhabitant of it. And I think one of the things it does so well, and it starts with this character of Jerry by not labeling him um, a, a geek, a nerd, or whatever, is... There's this amazing shot. Once he arrives at school, right in the right at the start of the movie, right when the credits are done, I'm pretty sure it's all one take. Maybe there's some weird cuts, but the camera just kind of pans in, and what we're seeing is we kind of see every subculture of the school as yeah. we walk through. Like Yardley Smith, Lisa Simpson is there talking to some other girls, and we as also a cheerleader, see like the jocks talking. I think she is, yeah. But you yeah. see, I guess you could say you see the punks, you see the nerds, you see these groups of people, and the camera follows through, and they're all kind of in their groups, and they're all, they're all talking about Buddy, the new kid coming to school, Buddy Ravel. They're all sharing the rumors they've heard, and you're basically following one or two of these rumors as it passes through the school, and everyone's telling a version of it. But it's so great because you're seeing these groups, and the, and you can you can identify them by their clothing, you can identify them by some things they're doing, but. They're all coexisting. Like there isn't the sense, or I didn't get the sense of really that these kids who I think are in the science class are, are, are trying to avoid these guys who have baseball bats because they play baseball. Like they're all coexisting, which to me is how school worked. We're panning through the school and you're seeing all these different groups talking, talking like adults. That's one thing this movie does is it gives every character kind of like an adult voice. But you're moving through them in such a way that you can't – like I wrote a list of, you know, you got the jocks, punks, nerds, prepsters. But I'm like, you don't really have those. It isn't as clearly defined in the movie who everyone is. I think you have some film geeks at one point that, that come up, documentary film geeks. But everyone else is a slightly more realistic representation. Like, And again, maybe it's because our hero isn't a nerd, so he's not being bullied by anyone but the school bully. But just there was this sense of these are people in this area, and no one is – I think it is true in high school, but it's also kind of an easy um, cinematic trope when you pit a group against another group. And that's not what this movie is about. Yeah. I didn't get the sense of what the John Hughes movies always represented to me. Maybe this is why this isn't one I saw. Maybe this is why it doesn't feel like a comedy to you. The John Hughes movies were always you identify with the character because that character is an underdog. But you also identify with that character because the other characters are jerks and you don't like them. And it, it would reflect high school. You know, Breakfast Club plays around with it a little bit because you have, like, you can be a jock and watch that movie and be like, okay, I relate to the Emilio Estevez. Or you can be, you know, artistic and the outsider and relate to um, the character Allison who's played by the girl whose name I'm now blanking. Oh, my God. Ali Sheedy. Ali Sheedy. Thank you. Her character may not even be named Alice, but Alice, she'd be like, you can relate to each of those characters. The majority of John Hughes movies, though, play to an audience of people who felt like underdogs because they are pointing out the jerks of the school, the mean girls or the rich guys or, or these characters that probably weren't even really in my school. But it's empowering because it's it's a kind of like central character against the world mentality. This movie, Three O'Clock High, does not use that trope, does not even fall into that. They give us... A very realistic bully, to be honest, like because it's all rumors we hear at first. Everyone's saying how bad a guy he is, how how horrible a guy he is. And when he does finally show up, he's scary looking. You know, he looks kind of like a sad Val Kilmer, kind of like <laughs> a Charles Manson a little bit. Yeah. You know, and he kind of just walks in, I think, to the school. And so it's a scary reveal, but it's scary because we've just been given everyone. And this is how things work. And this is wonderful because it's how things work at that age. Everyone was just spilling these rumors about what he's like, and then he shows up. 
So all these rumors are him. You know, you put him on the figure you see, and he, he does look scary, and he does look like an outsider, and he does look tough. But, and as the movie went along, I started thinking, like, he's not the bully that, it, that everyone's saying he is. There's something else behind that, because I just felt like he can't be everything everyone said. Yeah. But he shows up, and he's supposed to fulfill that role in the school. And what's interesting is he's still a student there, and, and our, our main character, Jerry, is given the assignment, I think, of kind of, like, welcoming him to the school and showing him around. Uh, no, he was he was in the um, the school newspaper. He was in the school newspaper meeting, and they wanted to do an article on him, uh, meet the new guy kind of article. So he was given the assignment to interview him and, and get to know him. He does the normal thing, yeah, where he, he actually finds that he's in a position to, to talk to him after he got this assignment, and so he does. He's like, hey, it's, it's, they've asked me to do this. And, you know, he kind of... Uh, stumbles over his words and calls it a stupid assignment and so he buddy kind of takes it the wrong way and says you're going to make me look stupid and he's like no and it mm-hmm. becomes this very uncomfortable talk and so and a very believable yeah like the way that escalated to a point was very believable because this guy is standoffish and again i kept thinking that buddy was someone who's been put in this role who's always been told he's the bad kid who goes from school to school because of these rumors so i felt like He's uncomfortable uncomfortable because he thinks this is going to be another example of someone making me out to be a villain. So I thought this will be interesting. And then, yeah, what happens is set up earlier on that Buddy doesn't like to be touched. And Jerry goes, I think, to pat him on the shoulder, maybe even say, hey, Buddy, or whatever. Yeah. And in that moment and in doing that. It was actually in the moment when he wants to, hey, let's just forget this whole thing ever happened. And and he could have. He didn't do that contact. Yeah. And it's a scary moment because you we do see Buddy the bully become the bully. It's kind of a scary movie. The mirror shatters in a very artsy, fartsy kind of way. He holds him up against the, the like they've got these long, tall urinals that are from the floor up. And so he drops his feet into that urinal and pushes him up against it and flushes the toilet like eight times. Yeah, he, becomes, he becomes what we expect, I think, from a movie yeah. bully. And he establishes there, and this is 18 minutes into the movie because I remember checking, so the movie is pretty well paced. He establishes that they're going to fight at 3 o'clock. And that's this rest of the movie goes from there. Like, it's set up. It's kind of the moment we were probably expecting in a movie like this. I think he lets him go. He walks out of the bathroom. I think there was a kid in the stall who runs out. Let's talk about that real quick, though. Because, you know, you're talking about how this is kind of sold as a comedy. But that's a very, like, we've already talked about how he becomes a bully. It's very intense. That moment, I thought it was, again, and this is why it sticks with me, that moment where he's in the bathroom, uh, Jerry, and he knows there's Mm -hmm. this other kid in the bathroom. He's actually in a stall, and he's tapping his feet, just sitting there tapping his feet. And then the other guy walks in, Buddy walks in. And when Jerry says the name Buddy, when he's introducing and asking, oh, you're Buddy, right? The other kid, it cuts to his feet, and he stops tapping. And then they start talking. And as that intensity increases... They cut back to the feet and those feet raise up to, to hide. Like I'm not, I'm not in here. And for me, like that was just, it's simple, but even now, even rewatching it, I know it affected me as a kid, but even now it's like, this is an intense little scene. And then after he, buddy throws him against the mirror and like you said, it breaks and buddy threatens him and says three o'clock and he leaves. You're, you're held on Jerry for a little bit. And then this other kid comes out and they don't say anything to each other. They just look at each other and then the kid leaves. 
And then you know that that kid goes and starts telling the school and it starts, starts to spread. But just that moment and having that other kid there, it, it added to the fact that uh, Jerry couldn't hide from it. Because now somebody else knows and now the school's going to know. So it, it just added uh, some the, the, a lot of depth and, and uh, it, it added to my stress that, that there's nothing <laughs> Jerry can do to hide the fact that that just happened. Yeah, it's a scene that can either be incredibly like that can either be the moment where it stops being a comedy or where you realize it's not a comedy because it's so terrifying or it's a hilarious moment because it's so grim. I mean, it is sort of the Western bad guy, you know, saying like, you know, bullying someone, poking them and saying we're going to meet outside for a shootout. That is what that's based on. and That is what Buddy's supposed to be doing. So how did you react to that then? Because for me. It was not funny. It wasn't even like dark comedy to me. It was just oh, stressful. I found it very, I mean, I'm watching it as an adult. I don't have the memory as a child. I found that moment to be darkly, I found it to be brilliant and it's very artistic looking and, and, and whatever. I also just found it, yeah, I found it to be darkly funny. Like I yeah. wasn't laughing like, oh, that's hilarious. Look at that comical villain. I just thought the scenario of Jerry, who is this, I just felt like, you know, not helpless, but this, this, you know, just this person who's just an average person trying yeah. to do good to have that backfire because of his little gesture and to have it escalate so quickly into this violent threat that sets up the movie. I did find that very funny. And that's the thing. Things keep escalating for Jerry. They just everything gets worse for this guy. You know, I think from here, like he wants to get out of it. There's some issue with um a friend of his, and what I thought was the most tense scene, um, now that he feels threatened and he wants to somehow get out of it, they, a friend of his comes up with the idea of planting a switchblade in, in, in Buddy's locker mm-hmm. as a way of getting Buddy in trouble. And earlier on, you see this kid memorize the, the um, combination for Buddy's locker. That's the scene where I was like, you know what, this is actually tense because they're trying to get the locker open to put the knife in. Jerry's not sure he wants to do it. Because he feels like it, it could um, accelerate into this horrible mistake if Buddy found out they put a knife yeah. in there. But this other kid thinks this is the best thing to do. And that scene, because they are working against the clock and they're actually counting it down because class, do, they're doing it in between classes. So they know the bell's going to ring and people are going to come out. And they're struggling to get the knife in. And if I remember right, they get the knife in and then they decide, no, that was a bad idea, but it's too late to get the knife out. Like that sequence, that's when I felt like maybe this isn't a comedy. Because that was scary to me. That yeah. was tense. But this scene... The scene in the bathroom was still serving the purpose of what these movies are. Your bully and your hero. And they keep going back to the bathroom. They go back at least once, once or twice. Like yeah. that is, and again, I feel like movies did this too. A bathroom is almost like it's separate from the world. Maybe it's because you have to get a pass there. Maybe it's because it's not the social hub. But I feel things happen in a bathroom in these kind of movies, teen movies and high school movies where it's like, we're in no man's land and there's no law in here. We can smoke in here. We can be threatened in here. You can have an adult threaten a kid. You can have a fight. And the rest of the school won't know about it because there's something about a bathroom. Something about the privacy of bath of a bathroom, but also the sheer nakedness. Like, I hated going to the bathroom as a kid in public, in a public school. I hated going to the urinals. I hated going to the stalls. Yeah. I hated it if somebody else was there. So as an environment, that makes sense. It's uncomfortable. But these movies always use it as sort of, you know, it's your chance to do a bit that's separate from the school. Like you're insulated enough that unless a teacher walks in and the tension breaks, you can have these kind of moments which are a threat. Like, no, there's no 
callback to the fact that the mirror is broken. I don't think you don't see a janitor cleaning up. Nobody is questioning about like Jerry could easily have said, look what happened in here. This, right. this mirror broke. He doesn't because the bathroom is sort of this fantasy no man's land. So I think I still found that part funny, but from there, the movie starts ratcheting up the suspense and it just gets a little more surreal. Like, I like that immediately after that threat happened, we see how that travels. Like, Buddy is sitting, or uh, Jerry is sitting in a science class watching, I think, a science movie about uh, one insect hunting another insect. And these two <laughs> kids who, who are documentary filmmakers in the school kind of slide into the shot, you know, slide in front of them, and they're telling them, you want to make a documentary about you and about this fight? And it's just, it's so rapid fire. It's this great, surreal kind of, Everybody knows what's going on, right. and everyone's trying to sell them on something. And it's not, you know, I was saying before, they're realistic characters. They are, but you just have, and then you have this other character comes up, you know, and says, hey, we're putting money on who's going to win the fight, and blah, blah. Like, it's just, yeah, it's so heightened. Like, no one is no one is appalled by what's going on. No one wants to help him, but everyone is somehow involved. And yeah, I, and I liked it's... that, and I think because that was happening, and because it was accelerating like that, I still found it to be a surreal comedy. Yeah. Yeah, even even uh, talk about surreal. He had his friend that he picked up, the the girl. Uh, she was trying to help him too by connecting with her spirit guide. Um, so yeah, she was my favorite character. You know, I knew that was gonna. I knew you were gonna like her. It was Feruza Balk. <laughs> she was like Feruza Balk, but she would have been my crush in the eighties. Sure, I'm sure. I, as I was watching it, I was like, this is this is gonna be Tim's favorite character of the movie. No, I loved her fashion. I loved her hair. And I just loved that role she played. I mean, yeah. she, that actress, who I guess has been in other things. I don't know her from other things, but I looked her up on IMDb. She's doing, and I feel like a lot of times these were the characters I liked in high school movies. She's acting. She's not a necessarily a good actor, but it's very believable. Like, her lines are very blandly delivered. But I mean, like, yeah, she's like this spiritual new age person. Like, she has a line in the movie that I wrote down where it's like, I'll get my friend Ethan. He's my spirit guide. He lived a long time ago. And she just says this line. Yeah. And that should, that's the closest this movie comes to actually making a joke. That was something else I was going to say, is that this movie doesn't rely on one-liners or jokes. Like, it's very hard to tell a funny joke from this movie. It's all situational. Right. Which is rare, I think, for these movies. I think most of these movies, the kids always have some slang. There, I'm thinking of the John Hughes movies. There's slang that they use. There's memorable lines that they say that are funny that you repeat and you quote. And this movie doesn't really have that like this character this the his friend that he picks up she is the closest we get to one of those characters i feel like but even they they have a very awkward moment later that i'm just like i don't know what to make of that right don't they they go to kiss but they don't kiss and it's just it felt very real i'm like yeah that's how that actually happens there's no reason for them to suddenly be romantic yeah and she doesn't she's not in the movie much but she's present and i feel like in any other movie she would have been a major character yeah there was but she's kind of just there with everyone else there was yeah because it was like you thought she was the romantic and i guess towards the end it becomes the romantic uh lead but there's also just randomly in there the the hot blonde the dream girl um, that he actually sees on the drive to school. Like, that's where we first meet this blonde uh, beauty. Has to be older. Uh, had a, a, you know, a, a Cindy Crawford mole on her face. It was, she was, and she comes <laughs> up every now and again that, you know, he loses his, his mind, you know, can't speak to her, doesn't know what to say. Um, but yeah, for me, I mean, you're talking about how, how it's got these, it's situational comedy, there's no real jokes. But you're still finding it funny. It's like this heightened, dark, and funny. Um, 
I don't see it as a comedy. I see where they were trying to have the comedy moments. Um, and I, th- it's hard because watching it now, um, I still very much enjoyed it and I see why I connected to it. But I also mm-hmm. can see how tonally um, it, it doesn't quite get it right, at least not for me. Um, it gets a little, a little bit silly at times, but it goes right back to this tense nature of it. Um, to me, it reminds me more, I don't want to say thriller because it's not like there's a murder thing happening, but it's more of, and it's not really a drama. I don't think of it as a drama, but I don't think of it as a comedy. I watch it on HBO, uh, HBO now. And I, when you, when you go to it, it has a little brief description of it. And I actually was able to find that. Can I read you the description of it? No, oh, yeah, because I don't have HBO Go. I had to pay $3 to see it. So, yeah, please read me I, I what, uh, what you got to see. I also pay for HBO Go. So, yes, please support us on Patreon. We would really much appreciate that. Um, better stand back, stranger. There's a showdown coming at Weaver High, and it's aiming right at your funny bone. In this fresh, funny teen romp, nice guy Jerry, and then they kind of get into it. it so I'm like, no, romp. it's not. It's, it's not a funny romp. It's not aiming at my funny bone. It is tense. It is dramatic. It has some thrills. Every bit that's supposed to that I think is supposed to be funny um, for me is just very, very tense. Like when he finally decides, I'm out of here. I'm going to get in my car. I'm going to go. And he gets mm-hmm. to his car. And the knife that they had left in his locker is now stabbed into his, his steering wheel with a note that says, uh, you, you can't leave. You're not going to get away from me. And a buddy had apparently pulled, you know, something, a starter or something out of the car so the car wouldn't start. And then the school security guard shows up. Um, it Played by Mitch Pileggi. Mitch Pileggi. Skinner from the, from the X-Files. X-Files. Yes. With a giant neck. <laughs> with the biggest neck I've ever seen. And he's supposed he to be. Awful. He did. He, he looked, looked awful in this movie. And he was hideous. supposed to be a comedic sort of character, this over the top security guard that took his job too seriously. And I get that. And there was a little bit of that. But for me, for me, it was just like, God, no, another roadblock. Get get out of there, Jerry. Something. But that's why. That's a comedy of errors. I mean, there is I get, yeah. no way that a school, that this kid, <laughs> that no one in the school would help him. That the right thing or maybe would have been to go to teach. The fact that, so what, he can't run off campus once his car is broken? He could have still gone. Uh, no, I, I get the security it. Guy I get there. it. Yes, but that, that's what I think is so funny. It's setting up this scenario, and I think Mitch Pileggi is playing it. I think scary. When I think comical security, I think <laughs> of like Lafors and Mallrats or yeah. Paul Blart. I mean, he's playing this weird because after him, we get introduced to this Nazi character. There's all this Nazi imagery with I don't know if it's a teacher or the that, principal that was or whatever. The, the dean of discipline. That's what I was. Yeah, that that's very. He even gets a chance to do like a Nuremberg rally thing on this platform uh-huh. during the fire drill. Like it's just that there's all these bizarro. They just they feel like they're making a comment on something, and they're not. Again, it's not one-liners. It's not slapstick. It's not farce. Maybe it's satire. But I'm just like all of these moments. I think is what makes it funny. Romp again. Not the word I would use. I don't yeah. know who they're trying to sell it to on HBO now with that little write up. But I'm just. Maybe, maybe for me, maybe it's the music or something. But I mean, this scene uh, later when he decides that um, to to talk to one of the athletes, probably the the football uh, quarterback, mm-hmm. he goes to talk to him and wants him to take care of this buddy problem. And 
he says, yeah, I'll do it for $450. And he knows that there's $450 at the school store. So uh, mm -hmm. Jerry goes to the school store, sneaks in, tries to open up the cash register, but it won't open. Tries to smash it with a school globe, and the globe <laughs> falls apart. It crashes. Funny. Then he grabs the uh, fire extinguisher, and he turns the... Uh, he turns the register around so he can run at it with the fire extinguisher. He does this. It doesn't open the cash register, but the fire extinguisher goes off. He can't control it. Like I'm, as I'm describing this, it's it's funny. It's a funny thing yeah. I'm describing. He starts to make a mess of the store. Um, he's spraying the fire extinguisher everywhere. He's knocking into the shelves. Everything's falling down. He finally ends up crashed next to the cash register he's on the floor cash register is above him and as he sits there and everything stops the cash register opens on its own it's funny that's that's, that's a funny physical it, bit. it's a very funny physical bit to describe in the movie in the tone of the movie for me i didn't find it funny i was like god oh. he's not going to get out of this. There's nothing he can do. I felt so scared for him when he stole the money. And and maybe I'm just holding this over from my childhood viewing of it. But I was scared for him because I knew he's not the guy to steal money. And he's going to oh, He makes it. a series of bad decisions. Yes. And that's what escalates things. But you're saying, or at least I'm hearing it, like you can have believable characters in a comedy. And you can have characters who you care about. Yeah. I mean, that's what Ghostbusters is. That's oh, sure. what a lot of romantic comedies are. And I, I mean, think for me, I feel like this is I, the fact that he's not a typical nerd or the fact that he's not like he's almost I don't want to say he's plain because I, I do like the character and I like the actor who's playing him. But I think because he's an every he's realistically every an everyday student like he could be one of many students even his weird bizarre trouble talking to that blonde you're talking about earlier that's a believable moment yeah. in the movie it's not out of character so that's maybe why it's not farcical but the world he exists in is surreal it's not a mimic of our world. Right. They're making comments on it, but er the way these things escalate, and I think we see that. So the scene you're, you're describing when he talks to the football player, he eventually gives him the money from the registered because he's like he's heard that, that that particular football player has stood up for people before at a bully. So for $400, he says, will you go and tell Buddy not to beat me up? Right. The scene where that happens, he finds Buddy reading Grapes of Wrath in, uh, or of Mice and Men in the library. And this football player approaches him and says, I heard you've been beating up or you've been threatening Jerry. Don't do it. What happens in there? <laughs> he gets his finger snapped. He gets beaten or thrown. And then the bookshelves in this beautifully staged domino effect, every book, every sh bookshelf in that library topples very loudly, making all this noise throughout the entire library, all falling down while this football player lies in a unconscious bloody heap <laughs> two kids in there see it they look over to him and buddy kind of puts his fingers to his lips and goes shh walks out and there's no repercussion to this massive <laughs> violent attack which is far worse than what the actual fight with jerry would have been because he breaks this guy's fingers and knocks him unconscious right. he totals the library again in a beautiful sequence but it's such a bizarre, heightened, ridiculously yeah. like to not and to it, take this at a serious level, it wouldn't work for me because I'm like that. How did no one hear that? And how is no one noticing and saying, "Hey, this kid is near death. We got to get him to the nurse." It also comically because it's a comedy. It also comically reveals Jerry and his friend 
standing behind the bookshelf. So right at the end, when the last bookshelf falls, it comically reveals him there that he was he was the one that set this whole thing up anyway to to have the the guy. Yes, I, yeah, I get it. And I that scene's important too because that's the that's also the scene where I'm like, okay, buddy is what they said he was. Because again, up until the scene, I thought this is an accelerating comedy of errors. Jerry's getting too worked up because. Buddy can't be like I thought there was something like the fact that Buddy doesn't like to be touched. I thought there's something to that that's going to come up and everyone's always just making up rumors for him. So he doesn't like it. But the fact that he did does all this in the library is kind of the pivot where I feel like, all right, now this movie is scary and terrifying. And it's a fight movie. Like at that point, I do feel like there's a shift of something where it's like I understand the threat now. It is real, but it's still it's still a comedy. I feel because it's just. How uh, that can't happen in a real yeah, but movie where there's no repercussions in a high school. I absolutely agree. So if you accept that, I have to accept this cartoonish, bleak and dark, but cartoonish reality, which I'm totally fine with because again, I'm invested in Jerry. This kid can't get a break. I get that feeling. Everything is going wrong, and it's going wrong because he's not. You know, ultimately, I think the whole thing is about facing the bully. Everything he tries to do to fix it is somehow lowering himself. Steal money to fix right. it. Get this kid in trouble with the knife to fix it. And ultimately, as we get to the end, we do. He decides to fight. Right. He he ends up deciding he's going to he, face the fight. He, yeah. Right? He he actually. Um, what happens is because you were talking about how everybody kind of gets along there isn't like these clicks in the thing and uh, I think that was displayed at one point after the football guy gets beat up he gives him the money back you know he's like well I didn't do it so here's the money back that you paid me uh, so he had 350 bucks minus 100, minus 100 for his troubles yeah. um, so he's got 350 bucks and he finally decides to pay him off it's like let me let me just give you 350 bucks and let's, let's pay, pay it off and so uh, oh, that's right. Yeah. That's that great film noir scene in the uh, gymnasium. Yeah, they got all these lights falling in patterns. That's a great scene. Yeah. Uh, and Buddy takes the money and basically calls him a pussy. You never would have done it. You know, it's like, of course you're going to pay me off because you're a pussy. And so Jerry uh, has this moment. He actually goes to the roof of the high school, and he has this moment where apparently that you no one's dying in the background by the way those are kids outside they're screaming i don't know if it's coming <laughs> they're having fun the mic. well they're having they're, <laughs> they're having something but yes i'm sorry so he's on the roof yeah so he has this moment of reflection uh where he kind of change you know it's like well i can't be a pussy i can't just give up i've i've gotta you know he's been trying to give up and get out of this the whole movie and he has this moment where it's like no i am gonna fight him and so he ultimately, at the end, makes the threat and says, no, we're fighting. And he's like, all right, let's do it. And then it gets to the fight. Yeah, and, and it gets to the fight is the one thing in this movie I'm like, this is brutal. This is the, the fight is the part of the movie where I'm like, what is this about? But what I really like is after he has that very important moment on the roof, he walks down the stairs. As he walks outside, it becomes Thunderdome. Yeah. Like he walks out the door to the outdoors of the school and it's just a roar of applause and you see more people than there should be in the school you see hundreds of people on the there ground are, in a circle leaning out the I, windows all cheering because they're about to see this fight but they're all they, cheering they for him 
Yeah, and they didn't. You're talking about more people than should be in the school. They, I don't think they had enough uh, teenage-looking extras because I kind of <laughs> went out and uh, of the moment and was looking at the crowd, and there's a few uh, like grown-up men in the <laughs> lower portion. And there's actually you should go back and watch it if you can. There's actually one guy looking back at the camera as it raises up. Like you could tell it's like just some schmo they found that's like we need more people. Get that idiot, and he's like watching the camera. <laughs> But yeah, it's it's a huge it's, over it's, the top it's a great scene. scene. Like as you're explaining, you really this. are supporting him, and as he yeah. walks out, it's this is why it's not your traditional movie. It's like everyone's on his side. It's it's funny. Everyone's because for him. Everything, They're happy he's there. Yeah, and everything you're explaining is heightened and should be comical, and and I can see, you know, why it's it's deemed a comedy. I understand that, but I don't know why. But for me, it was. I don't want to say it was realistic because everything we're describing isn't realistic. It's unrealistic. But the situation, and and maybe it's the way Jerry is played, that uh, Casey Samasco is playing Jerry. Uh, he's great. Yeah, he's, he's fantastic in, in this. Believable as a high school so kid. So believable. It's kind of like so Tommy Kirk. T- yeah, he's so tense and so nervous and so trying hard to do the right thing. That for me, it just never, I never got over the, the hump of it being funny. Even like you're saying, it's not laugh out loud funny, but it's not even like delightfully surreal funny to me. To me, the whole movie is just tense. If there are one-liners, if, if he was a different, you know, if he had a crazy haircut and he had different clothes even, you know. Exactly. Or, or if Buddy had, I don't know, there's something, like he is... A little bit of an exaggerated bully, but it, you know he looks real enough. Like there are things that could have pushed this, maybe like you're saying. I think you've already said more towards the comedy, more towards something that felt like a comedy to you. I'm just saying that I can't not see this as funny because of how bizarre not only is the scenario he's in, but how it plays out. I find it very funny even when he walks out. Like I actually felt a little rushed when he walks out and everyone's cheering. I'm like, wow, this is a big moment. But the fight itself is so brutal between the two of them. And it escalates pretty fast. Yeah. And it's everyone cheering this violent moment. And it's just like, what What do you think the point of the fight is? Like in terms of a story arc, like we know that Jerry's getting himself into trouble because he won't face. Like I get the idea of facing the bully. It's typical. It's you know, it's the karate kid, it's weird science, it's most movies where you stand up to someone. So I get that. Yeah. But this fight is really about punch him, knock him out. Yeah. I, I think they they didn't know. I don't think they had a good point. I think that they just thought we've been leading up to this, you know, they being the, the, the screenwriters, they've been leading up to this fight this whole time and they felt like, okay, so we have to have a, a big knock him down fight. It doesn't fit it doesn't really fit um oh you don't think it fits. i don't think it fits i think you know um it you know i don't know what it would have been better um but i don't think it fit jerry we never learned the jerry you know there wasn't an like i said at the beginning there's not much established for jerry we don't know that he is meek and uh, afraid to face his fears we get that he doesn't want to get beat up but who who wants to get beat up um Mm -hmm. but there isn't anything above that there isn't anything more than that so it's not like when he had his reflective moment of hey wait a minute i'm not a pussy 
it didn't that didn't work for me either. It's like you're just going to be called a pussy and that's going to change your mind about okay, I'm going to fight you. No, it just But does that work in another movie? That's Marty McFly's Drive and Back to the Future 2. That is kind of what Daniel is doing in the Karate Kid. Like that is normally a thing. It's like I feel like an '80s trope of and these I'm not movies. Saying, yeah, it, it is. You're a coward work. if you turn your back on on the bully. So can you have this movie where he doesn't confront the bully? I think you can. How would it have worked if he confronted him with words? I think if he confronted him, not not necessarily words. I I've always thought that that well, first of all, it it doesn't work for me because we've seen the bully. Um, t- grab a guy's finger, break it, punch him, and, and he's break out. It, yeah, we oh, we saw him just at the beginning funny. of that fight when the teacher showed up to to stop it. He just hauled off and knocked him out. And then when he yeah, goes, no, to he's fight, an unstoppable monster. Yeah, and then when he goes to fight Jerry, he he can't even hit him when he's swinging at him, and Jerry gets a punch in right at the beginning, and it's like. You know, that's, Jerry gets punched. He gets knocked down. Yeah, he gets he? knocked down. It it is brutal, but but the fact that Jerry's actually getting punches in after the the guy that's actually bigger than the bully couldn't do it, and well, the guy neither one was expecting it. I, Jerry's expecting. I guess it. that's true. I guess that's true. But uh, I mean, I I'll, I'll admit it's it is it's weird. It's a weird it's, fight. It's a weird fight. I don't it's know. unrealistic. And for me, it doesn't do anything uh, for either character, um, except to just have this fight because we were expecting it. Uh, like I said, it doesn't really, for me, give Jerry uh, any sort of ch- change because I, I just it just was a, a bit of a flip flop for me without any real emotion behind it. You mentioned a couple other movies where the kind of the same thing happened. Um, there's emotion in Karate Kid. Uh, there's a lot more build up to that decision, you know, and and it leads up to that. You spent a whole day with Jerry being terrified and doing everything he can and ruining his life trying to run away the decision to stay is a big decision because honestly he still could have gotten out of the fight he didn't have to because he was he got out of the fight he bought his way out which is important if that wasn't there the fight would be different it's important that he actually finally achieves an out which physically costs him money true and he goes to get the money back and he goes to acknowledge the fight like that is an important that i feel like that is an emotional change because he he has pride in that school store and we'll see that when we get to the end the fact that he stole money from the school store lied to jeffrey tambor by the way <laughs> I, we haven't even mentioned that jeffrey tambor is in this movie who's like the supervisor's store lied to him about stealing the money and used that money to save his own ass twice and both times it didn't work out the fact that he made that decision is a harsh decision because that's betraying something that he seems to care about because he's running the store well. To now make this, this decision, this dual decision of one, I have to get that money back and that's the honorable thing, but two, where he just, yeah, he doesn't want, he was, it's that weird thing of being called a name, being called a pussy and wanting to turn around, but he just, he didn't have to confront him at that point. I think it's a big deal that he does. I think it is a big deal. I just don't get the fight. Like had the fight. Like and I like how he walks into this gladiator <laughs> setting because of the surrealness of the movie. But then I think the fight becomes too real. Like what if they were all there and it was just one punch? Or what if he still got knocked out? Like it would be a cop out if it was like I knocked you out. And now we're friends. Obviously, yeah. it'd be a cop out if he gave speech. So I guess the question is, how do you do this in a movie? And is this the only route you could go at this point? Because it's been so heightened. It's been so pushing. Like, you can't not show the fight at the end. Right. You can't get to that point because that's what your whole movie's about. Right. Yeah. I just don't know how you turn it out. Because then, to, to, and we'll get back to this because we haven't really solved anything, the epilogue of the movie 
is he's about to be arrested for the theft of the money from the from the store after everyone cheers for his victory. But I think someone in the school, one of the teachers, or, or maybe it's the the principal, says, "Let's deal with that tomorrow." He's had a big enough day. So this is the idea that people actually respect him. He gets a moment to breathe, and he comes into school the next day. I think thinking he's going to be arrested because he has to. He hasn't gotten all the money back. Right. And so he goes into the store, and there's this very weird scene of everyone in the school, everyone we've been seeing the whole movie, comes up. I think first it's that girl he had a crush on. They're all saying, hey, I need to buy a sheet of paper. And they all spend, was it like a dollar or $3 or something per sheet yeah. as a way of raising the money? It's it's endearing. It's a nice, like, everyone supports yeah, it. Yeah, it, it's then, a wonderful life at the end. Everybody comes in. And, yeah. and then Buddy comes in and drops the money back, yeah. right? Or drops some of the he money does. back. And it's kind of like they're okay now, I guess. Yeah, so people he even kind of smiles Jerry. a little at him. Well, I th- he's still sad Val Kilmer, but maybe he holds back <laughs> a tear or something. But it's kind of like his, there's two endings here. And in both of them, Jerry comes out pretty well. Do we need that? And does the fight kind of betray the one that follows it? I think maybe it does a little. Maybe that's the one place. I don't know. Because, again, it's very well filmed. And it's very dramatic. Yeah. I just couldn't out that fight scene yeah well and it also but it adds to what i was like one of my issues with it uh is just that the tone it's not consistent you know throughout the movie and so that adds to that a little too how it just gets so Mm -hmm. brutal there um but yeah i think we both agree it's a good film i think i think we come at it uh from slightly different angles uh but yeah and I think it does. I mean, we had at the beginning. And so, yeah, in terms of a good reality or a bad reality, I thought it was a good reality. I really enjoyed this movie and I enjoyed not knowing much about it and that it played with the of what I was expecting. Did you enjoy it the way you thought you would? Is it still a good reality for you as a movie? Um, yeah, yeah. It's still a good reality. I think so sure. I, well, I think I'm more aware of the 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 fact that it was pushed as a comedy now, I didn't really, that wasn't something that I thought of when I saw it. it but that, in, that impacts how you watch that it. impacts how I watch it now. Yeah. Isn't that weird? It, That's weird that the, the marketing after you've already seen it is impacting how you, how you view it. Cause now you, you went in expecting something different or well, you think that it's supposed to be something you're not getting it. I, I, w- I went into, I think I'm was just more aware of the tone and and for me, the lack of laughs, you know, or the like these moments like that we've already talked about where we're describing them as dark comedy. Um, mm-hmm. For me, um, it didn't it didn't play that way. And again, like I but said, did it work for you in terms of drama? It then, still works for me. Did that feel like it, it still works for me in terms of 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 a sort of bully crime thriller tense countdown? Yeah, you didn't film. You didn't think this was a comedy going into it, though. So it's odd that that's an issue with you now. I guess I don't understand that. Like you, before we even watched this movie, you were saying you don't remember it as a comedy. That's why everything I read in the trailer, I'm like, well, Bob's remembering this wrong. (laughs) Because you're right. All those things play it. But why does the fact that that's out there? Because you know, I mean, more than I do, you know how Hollywood works. It's not like the director and the writers wrote the copy that uh, that HBO Go is using. They didn't cut the trailer. I mean, this is legitimately a single vision. It's what a cult film is. It's like yeah. someone was able to make the movie they wanted, right. and it's uncategorizable, probably. So why does it impact you? Why does that external need to find it in the video store? It's under comedy or have a blurb to get people to see it. Why is that impacting your feelings on it? 
it's it's casting this this sort of genre over it uh, that involves laughs and involves jokes. And maybe that's it. Maybe I'm I've got that holdover from my my really short intense relationship with it as a kid, mm-hmm. and uh, now seeing it uh, as an adult and and coming at it with this realizing th- there's these comedy aspects to it, this heightenedness to it. Um, but still not being able to let go of my initial reaction to it as being more of this intense thriller type of, of film. But why can't you keep that? Like, there's I do keep that. It. I am keeping okay. that. That's what I'm saying. Like that's, right. that's still how I see it. I don't quite see it. It's, I, I get it. I understand it. I, I have the logic of it, but I, I still so you're just mad that the, that the way. public at large is. I'm, I'm very it? pissed that's off. It. Yeah. No, you sound like you should probably <laughs> write a letter to HBO go probably HBO yeah go do that. let's let's take teen romp out of this listeners if you um if you have a an account what are those what's the website where you do uh uh, uh petitions what i'm ruining this i'm sorry I thought move I was on dot org is that yes it? move on dot org please if you if you have an internet connection log on the move on dot org and look for <laughs> hbo went is the name <laughs> of it and we're just get them to remove the word romp from the description of this movie and, and get them to remove 27 dresses uh, the film <laughs> from their library as well. So that's the show, everyone. That's 20th Century Popcast for this week. Listen, I, I we hope you're enjoying the show. We're doing the show weekly. And what I would say, uh, if you do like the show, check us out at 20popcast.com. That's the website. Uh, it always has the most recent episode up for streaming as well as all past episodes. I try to post a couple things here and there just to keep you informed about what's going on. In addition to that, we have a Facebook page. I would say if you're a fan of the show, if you want to support the show, like the Facebook page. You can follow it in the show notes. Um... Follow us on Instagram, at Subcultist. That's my Instagram account, but I try to post for the show there a lot. And also, subscribe to us. We're on iTunes, which I think is now called Apple Podcasts. We're on Google Play. If you like what we're talking about, recommend us to friends of yours who also might, because I think there is a lot of nice kind of nostalgia when we get talking to people that goes on. And write to us. Contact us um, on Twitter. Just hashtag it, 20podcast.com, or 20podcast. I'm fucking this up. Or go to the website. What I'm saying is we want to hear from you. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Really. Yeah. And how can you do that, Bob? Because I didn't do a very good job. Uh, well, um, on the 20th Century Pop website, they can go to the Pop Talk link and leave a comment there. Uh, they can also uh, reach us on Twitter. Uh, you can reach me at RH Canning at Twitter. Leave a comment. Uh, private message me. We can get some information that way. You can leave comments on the Facebook page. And Tim, you're on Twitter as well. I am at Subcultist. You can find me there. Um, anything else? Anything you want to plug that you've been doing? I'm good. I haven't been doing much. Oh, well, you can plug that. Laziness. Laziness is a good thing to plug. Yeah, I'm raising two kids. I'm fine. All right, you don't have to plug that. We all know that. We hear that every week. But great, you're raising two kids, at least two of them well. That's both of them. So great. Um, a little something I forgot to say last week, so I'll say it now. Catchphrase. <laughs> <laughs>